Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on cagedipress.com. I'm Dana Gobi Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC once again is off this week, but that does not mean we don't have plenty to talk about. We are giving you one of our favorite segments of all time on this show. We are predicting whether or not champions will hold their belt entirely through the 2023 year. And me and Shockwave Dave have got some differing opinions here, so you're going to want to check that out. Also, on this show, we are talking to a pair of fighters who are fighting at Cage Warriors 148, which takes place on New Year's Eve. Kicking off the show, we're talking to UFC vet Modestus Bukoskis about his title fight and trying to get back to the UFC. And a little bit later on, we talk to Dutch featherweight Orlando Prinz, who is getting ready for his fight with Samuel Bark. He talks about how he came inspired to do BJJ in the land of kickboxing. But before we get any of that content for you, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Picket. Picket is the social betting platform that allows you to sync all of your action from all the sportsbooks accounts in one nice, neat little spot. Not only that, but you can stay up to date on all the bets that your friends are dropping and show off your big scores as well. It's a great place to build a following if you're an up-and-comer in the sports betting world creating content, or hey, if you're already well-established in that realm, maybe you want to expand that audience at Picket. It's just a great place to do that. So whether you're a new, regular, or an experienced better, stop what you're doing right now. Join the Picket community today by downloading the app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Modestus Bukaskis, who fights Chuck Campbell at Cage Warriors 148. That fight is on New Year's Eve. So, Modestus, before we get to started talking about the fight, I want to talk about your return from the long knee injury because, you know, it, it was something that people saw. It, it sparked a whole bunch of debate about whether or not it's even okay to throw that kind of kick. What did it feel like being back in the cage? How did it feel again? Yeah, it felt absolutely amazing. Um, weirdly enough, it, like you know, I actually didn't feel quite as much nerves as I thought I would feel. Uh, I think that was a lot due to just like sort of mental preparation before the fight. It just felt like I'm I'm back at home. Do you know what I mean? Um, obviously, it'd been uh, it'd been a long time since I've been out, but I was so raring to go at that point. I mean, I was already kind of fully recovered by May and I was kind of ready to fight at that point but I'm glad I had you know extra time to prepare and and stuff like that but yeah um although the performance wasn't you know the, the most spectacular or wh- where I wanted it to be um I did feel good and then I felt pretty calm well that's good to hear now you, you mentioned mental preparation can you clue us into a little bit of what that looked like or what that that was for you yeah, so you know, there, there, there's a man I've been working with called Julian Van Hofen, and basically, it's just stuff that um, it's like uh, like PTSD, um, like stuff that they do for those kind of patients, and it's basically like taking away. It, it's 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 just very hard to sort of explain, but it's like some weird like stuff that you do with like tapping, and you know, but it's, it was like it's you know really effective, really good, and and you know, it's, it's helped me out a lot, and uh, yeah, it just made me feel really calm, really good, and and you know, just. And also just in general, you know, I've had really good friends uh, such as Will Curry, who's, who's one of my training partners, who have sort of given 
given me an insight onto the the darker side of the world if you will you know like you know everyone knows me as being the sort of the fun loving nice guy and stuff like that and you know sort of tuning myself in more to the dark side of the force uh <laughs> kind of gives me a bit more of a competitive edge so i'm very thankful for that also so those two things coupled together uh, has has made me a lot better uh within the fight game absolutely now you, you also mentioned in there that you didn't feel like your performance was very good it you know it was almost a clean sweep on the judges scorecards w- what about it didn't feel good to you just not being able to get him out or yeah, like, you know, obviously I wanted to get, listen, Lee Chadwick is a very experienced, very good opponent, very powerful, you know, you know, beating a lot of top, top level guys, you know, fought in Bellator. So yeah, you, a lot of people kind of said to me, oh, well, this is a bit of a tough fight to take on your sort of return from injury. But, you know, me knowing what I know I can do uh, and, you know, with, with certain performances I've had in the past, you know, I, I'm, I'm wanting to get the finish, you know, so obviously I kind of had to dip my toes in kind of feel feel my way back into the fight a little bit and and you know back into competition so um obviously i I played it a bit more safe but you know i'm ready now to to take the risk that i need to 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 make the fight entertaining for for the fans that's that's the main thing you know i mean you want to be able to look at back on the archives of your fights and and see yourself you know doing some crazy spectacular things which is what i'm capable of so that's where i've kind of felt it wasn't my best performance, but you know now it's it's sort of prepared me for what's to come. Well, and let's talk about what's to come because you're fighting on New Year's Eve against Chuck Campbell, and we're going to talk about that fight. But I first wanted to talk about fighting on New Year's Eve because for a long time that was a tradition in MMA with with Pride Shockwave back in the day and stuff like that. Were, were you a fan of of Pride back in the day in the the New Year's Eve shows? Oh, I, I love Pride, man. It's so amazing that, you know, like on Fight Pass and stuff like that, you can watch all those fights as well. So, yeah, ab- absolutely. And, uh, you know, when, when I got, you know, as soon as I finished my fight, I already knew I wanted to fight on that card anyways. Um, you know, just in terms of like fans and stuff like that, obviously other, you know, people have had sort of things already planned out for New Year's. So, you know, who knows what sort of crowd we're going to have turning up to to, to, to the event. But, um, yeah, now nah, like it's absolutely amazing. Like, it kind of feels good in a way to like, I don't know. It's weird. Like, because I, I sort of feel like I'm the Grinch, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, it's, it's kind of nice to miss Christmas if you know what I mean. But you know, to, to have a goal and something to work for that, you know, you know, no one else is doing is, is, is quite a nice, quite a nice feeling in a way. And, um, yeah, it means that there'll be all the more celebrating, uh, when, whenever the fight is over. Absolutely. And you mentioned that goal that you're working towards, and and that's the vacant light heavyweight belt for Cage Warriors. Uh, What did it feel like when they told you that that's what you were going to be fighting for next? Did, Did you have a feeling when you beat Chadwick that that was next? Yeah, I, I knew already. I'd already called for it in interviews, actually, uh, post fight that that's what I wanted next. You know, I was the only uh, light heavy, well, the only previous light heavyweight champion uh, for Cage Warriors in recent years. And I vacated the belt. I never lost it. So I thought it was only fitting and only right for me to go and fight for the belt again. I mean, and, you know, there's only two other guys, Dan Hardy and Nicholas Dalby. I mean, what amazing names in MMA that have vacated and won the belt again. So, you know, to be kind of regarded within the list of within those two you know absolutely amazing athletes will be an absolute honor for me so um yeah like i knew that the belt was next you know i know what i'm capable of um i knew that i just needed one big win against a top name to put myself back in the midst because uh you know like like i say i I was the former champion so surely i should have got the shot and uh yeah luckily it happened that i did yeah, and, and you mentioned your last opponent, Lee Chadwick, being a guy 
who's kind of been there, done that. He's got a hundred fights on his career. And now you're fighting a guy in Chuck Campbell, way less experience on his record. He's still fought tough people and in big competitions, but you know, only five and one in his career. What were sort of your thoughts on that being the guy who's standing across for you for this big moment? Well, I knew obviously that was going to be the team USA v team Europe. So I wanted to fight for the belt. I wanted to fight on that card. Uh, obviously, now I've seen that they've added European showdowns as well uh, on that card. But, you know, it's it just everything just like went in with like the storyline, if you know what I mean. Like, oh, yeah, it's Team USA v Team Europe. So obviously, to fight for the belt against an American would only make sense. So, um, yeah, ev- everything sort of, um, yeah, you know, like ev- ev- everything, everything sort of played out the way I wanted to. And, you know, he had a big win in his last fight. Uh, he beat a very experienced um Englishman he had a quite a long time out I think away from the cage as well but you know um you know really good win uh you know he's hungry I think he also called for the belt so everything just like sort of you know just like I say just like the universe listened and now it's finally happening so everything worked out the way it was supposed to well so you you've said it all that it's all come together perfectly the way you want but explain to me how perfectly it goes if you win this title what is it going to look like how are you going to win this one uh, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to finish this guy. Listen, he's, he's, he's got, you know, amazing attributes. He's very athletic, very explosive. Uh, but not only do I have the experience, but I have the skill, um, the skill attributes that are going to be better than his. So I'm going to go out there and go for the finish. You know, this is a fight where you need to show out. This is a fight where, you know, you need to let people know that you're here. You know, I think, I think a lot of people have forgot about me, but it's time to remind them. I love that message. Now, I, I do got to ask, too, because usually I end on the prediction, but I, I got to ask, you know, this is a, a fight for a belt in Cage Warriors, one of the most prestigious organizations outside of the UFC. Pretty much everybody who wins that title, who wins that strap, right back into the UFC, right back in signing on the dotted line. Do you feel like a big win, a, a very emphatic stoppage here, gets you back to where you were, gets you back into the UFC? hundred percent. You know, I think a lot of people thought my career was over. Everyone thought that, you know, I was done. You know, uh, if you imagine I've been fighting with a knee injury or was basically just working off of rehabbing a knee injury since 2019. This is before I even got signed to the UFC, you know, um, and now everything's got finally fully fixed and stuff like that. Um, you know, I just beat one very good guy. Now beat another, you know, from from the homegrown talent from the USA. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll be it'll be a definitely a massive statement. And, you know, looking at the uh, sort of the landscape of the light heavyweight division at the minute, I could definitely mix things up uh, really nicely for them. And, you know, to to and I think it will definitely be enough to to warrant a, a second chance at the big show uh, because they know who I am. They know what I'm capable of. And, and I'll go out there and I'll do the job and do it spectacularly. Uh, no doubt. I'm sure the phone will be ringing. All right. Well, we are certainly looking forward to that. But before that, we have to look forward to your upcoming fight. Once again, fans, this is Ben Modestus Bukowskis, who fights Chuck Campbell at Cage Warriors 148. That fight, once again, is on New Year's Eve. Modestus, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, mate. Pleasure talking to you, bro. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Modestus Bukowskis. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, uh, let's start here. Not a lot going on in the UFC world right now. Everything's kind of taking a break. But we did get some new fight announcements, and perhaps the most exciting of all of them is a Apex main event between Corey Sanhagen and Chito Vera. They are guys who will not be fighting for the title next, which is what we're talking about later on in the show. But... 
a win from one of those two, I would assume, means they're, you know, pretty darn close to being next in line for a title shot. What do you think about that fight? And what do you think of their choice to put that in the apex? Yeah, the apex. I mean, listen, I get that they have so many cards that they have to spread out, um, you know, big fights uh, across their schedule. That's a, I don't know. I mean, like, that is, that just feels like co-main event of a pay-per-view normally to me, or, you know, a fight night card that could have headlined a, a new arena or something. So it's a little underwhelming just going in the apex, but um, that all being said, great fight, number four versus number five, immediate title implications. Uh, I'm I'm sold on it and can't wait to see it. Yeah, and the weird thing for me about all of this too, I, I also echo everything you say. Yeah, can't wait to see it. But the weird thing for me is this sort of leaves Sean O'Malley in like a weird no man's land, right? Because he's coming off that win over Piotr Jan. I think everybody assumed he was getting the title shot until Aljamain Sterling started talking about Henry Cejudo coming back. And now if Henry Cejudo is getting that title shot and this fight is happening, Sean O'Malley is left with no dance partner. Uh, unless well, he's just, just going to wait. Yeah, I mean, to me, Sean O'Malley, you know, the razor-thin win over Piotr Jan, uh, and not a huge um, resume before that in terms of strength of schedule. I'm fine with him fighting, you know, Murab Devishvili, Rob Font, something like that. And, you know, look, I had to watch Max Holloway reel off 11 wins in a row to finally get his title shot a few years ago. Uh, No shame in the game if O'Malley has to fight again, in my opinion. Yeah, I I kind of agree from that from a a merit standpoint. But the difference for me is uh, Max Holloway did not have the social media following that Sean O'Malley did. You know what I mean? Like Sean O'Malley is sort of, for me, one of those strike while the iron is hot kind of guys. Um, do you, do you think he's going to go out there and not get out wrestled by Marab Tavalishvili? Uh, I, I, I think Marab is kind of a bad matchup for him. You know, anybody who can wrestle really well is a bad matchup for, for Sean O'Malley. So I, I would say, you know, I, I want to get him in there and headline a pay-per-view before somebody, you know, like Marab could possibly expose him. I, I think your Rob Font suggestion is good. If he is going to fight again, Rob Font seems like a safer matchup for him. It's a guy who's going to want to box with him and, is much shorter than him. So like, yeah, that makes sense. I guess maybe, maybe we'll see that somewhere as a co-main event to a, a big pay-per-view, but um, it will be interesting to see what happens in the 135 pound division. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point though. Cause sometimes I, I get caught up thinking like that too, because I'm obviously such a huge, you know, MMA fan and by extension, biggest promotion in the world, UFC fan. But is that the game we play now? Like big social media following. We want to just strike while the iron's hot. So Dana White can pad his bank account with, with a big fight. I mean, even if he loses, he's still going to have the social media following. He could still headline a card. Nate Diaz has never been a champion and he still sells. I don't know. That's just where my mind goes. So it's like, if he's got a fight again and he loses, I don't care. I don't particularly like the guy. Do I want the UFC to always do good business? Yes, of course. But I don't know. I feel like at this point, they'd still market him in such a way, even if he lost to Murab Davishvili. That's true. But I also say this. So, like, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I don't want them always to do, you know, the smart money play, right? The, I, I would like to see it be treated more like a, a sport, right? Like, that's what we all want. But at the end of the day, they don't do that. And then second of all, it, the the title shot right now is assumed to be going to, to Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo hasn't fought in two and a half years. Uh, and, and when he did, he fought Dominic Cruz in Marlon Marais, 
only I mean I don't think either of those two you could consider active UFC fighters anymore one fights for PFL and just got knocked out and the other one has been commentating and largely not fighting for a while so like he he doesn't really have a recent win on his resume either um so like his, his last legitimate win was like four years ago when he beat TJ Dillashaw on ESPN's debut for the UFC like uh, yeah, like, I, I do think that Sean O'Malley probably needs a little more on his resume, but it's not like Henry Cejudo's resume is, like, trumping him right now. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I'll tell you what. Predicting who's fighting for the title kind of plays in perfectly to our next segment on the show, and it's something we do every year where we're going to take the the champions of current. Who's champion today? And we're going to make some top turtle MMA predictions for Will they still be champion come the end of the year? Will they still be champion December 31st, 2023, or will it be someone else? It's fun to always go back and track these things. We have a pretty good record with it. Going to pat ourselves on the back. So, Gumby, let's get to one of our favorite yearly segments on the show, champ predictions for 2023. Get a little housekeeping out of the way. Anyone sponsor this or no? Absolutely. Champ predictions are brought to you by MyBookie. Your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position, and it's about time that you did too with MyBookie. MyBookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. Bet on the best in combat sports like the UFC or play for a share of big cash prizes in weekly blackjack tournaments. And right now you can sign up at MyBookie and use promo code TOPTURTLE on a deposit of 500 bucks or more, and you can claim a bonus of up to $200. Again, that's promo code TOPTURTLE to claim a brand new deposit bonus designed for betters looking to get their cash in and out quickly, experience sports in a whole new light, and make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right. For official predictions, we're really just going with will blank champion be champion at the end of the year, and we'll both register a yes or a no. Bonus points if we want to say, oh, I think such and such will be champion. That'll count as extra credit. Gumby, I don't want to do one of these things where I start at, you know, men's heavyweight and we work our way down, or I start at women's, uh, you know, bantamweight and we work our way down that way. No, no, no. I'm going to jump around here and kind of keep us both on our toes. So, ready? I'm ready. I like that idea, too. Let's let's get the intriguing shit out of the way. (laughs) All right. I think this one's kind of intriguing. Uh Alex Pereira just beat who was thought to be a dominant champion at 185 in Israel Adesanya. Pereira beat him. It was a close back and forth match, but you know, this is now his third win. Pereira's third win over Adesanya if you count his prior two kickboxing wins. So Pereira's the 185 champion. Gumby, your answer. Will Pereira be the champion come the end of 2023? And I should say there's a, it's assumed, although not booked, that a Nida Sonya rematch is forthcoming. I'm going to say no. I don't think Alex Pereira is still the 185-pound champ at the end of 2023. Um, and part of the reason why I'm saying that is because, first of all, Izzy just said to survive three minutes, right? And he was never the champ, right? Pereira is never the champ if if Izzy just survives three more minutes. Uh, and that, that to me is telling, and we're actually going to talk about a couple of title fights that are that way, right? Is that like a couple of different guys who went into the final round and would be champ if they survived one minute, three minutes, four minutes, whatever. And I'm just going to say that I think that the guy who could have just survived a couple more minutes and remained champ here 
has the ability to do it again. Um, so I, I'm going to say no. I think Adesanya takes the rematch. I think we probably see a trilogy down the road. Do we get that trilogy in 2023 or are we going to see that or, uh, early in 2024? No way to really tell, but I'm going to say no on Alex Paeta. All right. So I'm going to say very shakily and not confidently, yes. And I'll tell you why. When I look at the top 10, I actually think Pereira beats Jared Cannonier, Marvin Vittori, Derek Brunson, Paula Costa, Sean Strickland. He beats everyone handily, in my opinion, not Whitaker, not Ida Sanya. Now, of course, you're going to say, well, Dave, that's crazy. He's going to face Whitaker or Ida Sanya <laughs> this year. And I'm maybe just both. Play maybe the both. Odds. <laughs> maybe both, which would be that he's not surviving. I don't think he beats both this calendar year. But if it somehow works out where, like, he ends up, you know, I, like, I could see him, the I just your match was close, and he's the champion. So, thus, it's a little harder to take it away from him. You know, sometimes you get that feeling that a judge isn't going to, like, you know, score it a certain way unless it's a handy beatdown. So, I just feel like he could get past Idasanya one more time. Do I feel confident about Whitaker? No. That's why this is a shaky yes. Again, I'm predicting Pereira will be the champion. I don't feel great about it. But I just kind of have that feeling if he could get by one of Idasanya or Whitaker, I'm very confident he would beat anyone else in the top 10. And I also have to say, he's evolving. A Pereira, we have not seen peak Pereira yet. He's still getting acclimated to MMA, working on his takedowns with Glover Teixeira. I'm going yes. The intern has locked it down. Let's go to the next weight class. Eh, let's just get it over with. Amanda Nunes is the most dominant female <laughs> champion of all time. No rumors for who she might fight. Gumby, do you see any person out there? Do you have any reason to believe Amanda News won't be champ come December 31st, 2023? Uh, uh, women's 135, by the way. No, nah, nah, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, like, I think Irene Aldana and Kelvin Vieta have long been talked about possible challengers, and I know one of them's booked to fight uh, Raquel Pennington. I can't even remember which one of the two is booked to fight Raquel Pennington uh, in the near future. But at the end of the day, no, like, no, nobody is going to be Amanda Nunes. Uh, we saw one fluky win over her last year, uh, and she immediately avenged that loss. We we know now that it's not something's wrong with Amanda Nunes. We know now it's, you know, Amanda Nunes is still what she was. She had an off night one time. I, I don't count on that happening a second time in consecutive years. Yeah, uh, I'm with you right there. Not much needs to be said. Amanda Nunes will be the 135-pound champ come the end of the year. I like her in a rematch or a trilogy against Pena as well. Uh, <laughs> that might be something that some people put in their head where they think Pena could score it back on her. I disagree. All right, let's go to uh, Amanda Nunes, 145-pound champion. Nah, just kidding. No one cares about that division. There's no one even ranked at it. Let's. This one's interesting. Aljo is the 135-pound champion. I feel like we've gotten past the filthy casual thinking that Aljo was some sort of fluke champion. He is no fluke. He's rumored to be facing Henry Cejudo, as we talked about earlier. Hasn't fought in multiple years. Uh, Sean O'Malley, still somewhat to prove himself. So uh, I'm going to jump ahead of the line here. I'm actually going to say yes, Aljo will still be the champion. Um, I just don't see a challenger right now because the two rumors are people I think he beats. So I'll say yes, although that division is stacked. What say you? So I'm also going to say yes. Um, the reason why for me is uh, he, he stated earlier that he's not looking to book a fight all that early in the year here. He's looking more like a, a late 
April, early May kind of time frame for his next fight. If that's true, he's not fighting more than twice. I think he beats a three-year layoff uh, Henry Cejudo pretty handedly. Uh, Cejudo has always been like, you know, an all right boxer, but largely just relied on his wrestling. I don't think he's the type of guy who's about to out-wrestle and out-jiu-jitsu Aljamain Sterling. Um, and I think Sterling's better on the feet right now. I think he showed that in like the Jimmy Rivera fight, for instance, that he, he's got hands that we sometimes sleep on. And then in addition to that, like if you fight Sean O'Malley, I think he's the worst matchup for Sean O'Malley on the planet. Uh, Sean, Sean O'Malley is like a, a quick rising star in the division, right? But there's literally nobody in any division who's stylistically worse for him than Aljamain Sterling is. So I think if he fights twice and those happen to be the two guys, yeah, give me Aljo here. I, I'll say he keeps it to the end of the year. Let's bounce back to the female division. 125 pounds, Shevchenko, dominant champion there. Uh, Mino Furio is uh, ranked number one. You have Blanchfield and Santos fighting. The winner could clearly get a title shot. I know this show, both of us are huge on Aaron Blanchfield's prospects. What do you say is Bullet Shevchenko uh, going to be the 125-pound champion come the end of the year? Ooh, this one's this one actually gives me more pause than I think it should. I, I'm going to say I think I'm going to say no at the end of the day here. Um, just because it feels like finally they have built up the next level of challengers, and there also seems to be a path to beat her, right? Like Talia Santos did not beat her, but my God was Talia Santos close, right? Like Talia Santos was a round away from beating Valentina Shoshenko. It went to the judges' scorecards, and people thought that she was going to get the knock, right? Like, there were people who were like, oh, no, Shevchenko just lost her belt. And if we see Blanchfield go bring Santos's game to Santos, right? Because Santos is great on the ground. If Blanchfield shows she's even better than Santos on the ground, she's going to get a title fight. And granted, very young, going to get a title fight. But if, if she's even better at that game wouldn't it stand a reason that she's going to do even better against uh, Shevchenko? In addition to that, I think once Firo comes back from her knee injury, uh, you know, I, I think she's a bad matchup for Valentina Shevchenko. She's such like a good point fighter. She's a good out fighter. She like does all that kind of stuff really well. So like, there's so many stylistic matchups that I just think finally, like it's, it's probably Shevchenko's time. I'm with you on this. Uh, you know, I could not be higher on Aaron Blanchfield. I think if Aaron Blanchfield could get past the striking of Valentina Shevchenko and get it to the ground, something that Shevchenko is not shy to do herself, I like Blanchfield better there. Uh, I don't know. I, I think you nailed it. I think the challengers have finally arrived at 125. They're not necessarily there at 135 for noons, but I think they're knocking on the door at 125 for Shevchenko. So we'll both go no there. This one's fun. Leon Edwards <laughs> got a last-minute win on the dominant 175-pound champ, Kamara Usman. Edwards finds himself the 170-pound champion, uh, you know, somewhat out of nowhere. Very underwhelming run to the title as well. Um, you know, it almost felt like they just had to give it to him because he reeled off so many wins, but it wasn't the kind of wins that the UFC loves. But he finds himself the champion now. Uh, there's... I, there is no confirmation that Usman's just getting an immediate rematch. I think both fighters are still healing from that fight. So, you know, gosh, I hope Edwards would have to defend twice this year, 
but it's possible that if they don't get anything booked until, you know, fight week July, maybe he only has to defend once this year and, and can actually squeak this by. What do you think? I'm going to say no regardless. Uh, I think apart from if he does find a way to, like, weasel a one defense year out of the way and it happens to be, like, Jorge Masvidal, because uh, I, I know he's been, like, calling out Jorge Masvidal off three straight losses, which is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my whole life. It, unless he weasels that fight actually out as his next fight and his only fight, I'm saying no. Uh, because he, I don't think he beats Usman in a rematch. You know, he was about to lose that fight too. Same thing I said about Paeta. He was about to lose that fight too. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, he, he probably loses to Bilal Muhammad. Uh, I think at the end of the day, he probably loses to Kamzat Shemaev. Like, I, I think whoever they wind up running in there against him, all three of those guys, incredible wrestlers, who have, and one of them has even proven he can win that way, right? Like as Usman did, he was just about to win that way. So yeah, I'd say take any of those over Leon Edwards and, and I'll say he's not the champ at the end of the year. I I want to be controversial and go against you just for the drama of it all, but I agree completely. The only person I like Edwards against is Masvidal and I don't think Masvidal deserves a title shot, but I think Usman wins in a rematch. I think Kamzat destroys him. I like Bolio Muhammad against um against him too so i'm also going no here's one that's been more of a hot potato uh devison figueredo the 125 pound champ moreno's the interim champ these guys have traded uh wins uh it's just been all over the place who do you think will be champion come the end or let me rephrase that will devison figueredo be champion come the end of the year I'm going to say no again, and this one I will actually wager a prediction on why I think no. I think Moreno's going to do it. Uh, I, I'm As a spoiler alert for when we break down that card, I'm picking, I'm picking Brandon Moreno. Uh, I think Brandon Moreno has what it takes to beat Figueredo, and I feel like I'm picking no on all of these, which is crazy. But I, I like really do believe that Brandon Moreno is probably the better fighter. Um I know there's all that turmoil with the coaching situation um, and obviously James Krause being MIA, but he's working with some really great coaches in Vegas now. He's working with Safe Saud, who I, I could not be higher on. And I think that's going to even improve his wrestling game. So, yeah, give me Moreno in this one. I, I think he's going to beat Figueredo. It's another one with me, like Shevchenko, where I feel like the top five has multiple people who could pick the title off. Oh, yeah, so, Manel Cape, too, by the way. Like, that, that's another person I think people are not talking enough about who could dethrone the champ. Like, Cape could win this one, too. Now, I will say, this is kind of crazy because I'm looking at these next two divisions we're going to do back-to-back, and, you know, it's one of those things where we're going to have a challenge, we're going to have a champion move up in weight, and it's going to stall out an entire division. And you might be looking at a year where there's very few title changes, so... We'll kind of do these two quickly back-to-back. Volkanovski's the 145-pound champion. There's going to be an interim fight between Yair and Josh Emmett, but he Volkanovski's going up to fight Islam. Um, so what do you think? 145 pounds Volkanovski, 155 pounds Islam. These two divisions sort of interplay with each other since the champions are fighting. Will either of these guys be respective champions of their divisions come the end of the year? I'm going to say yes on Volkanovski. Um, because I think he's probably going to only defend the title once, if that. Um, Same here. I'm I'm going yes as well. I think he beats the winner of Yair Emmett. Yeah, and I I think here's the other thing, too, is I think that 
the only way I would say no to this division is if he wins it lightweight and chooses to drop the title or is forced to drop the title. I don't know that he is going to be forced to drop the title, even if he wins. I, you know, and that's obviously a yes, whether or not he wins, uh, which is another question entirely. I'm also going to say this. I think he beats Islam. Uh, the more and more I think about it. uh, Yeah. Well, and I've been told that multiple times, right? Because he's like a plus 300 underdog right now. I was looking, uh, on the recently posted lines, but like, I think he's got the pieces that you need to be Islam, right? Because he's got the takedown defense. He's got the boxing. He's quick. He's low to the ground. He's hard to get in on his legs. I think he beats Islam. So I'm going to say no on Islam just because I think Volkanovski is going to go down there and beat him. I think Volkanovski is probably going to have to give him a rematch. But, like, if he chooses to also defend at 45, I don't know that Islam will get a chance to get it back within the calendar year. Like, that, that might be a one-and-done kind of situation for him because Volkanovski goes back to 45. Because I, I also don't think Volkanovski is the type of guy right now who's bulking up to the point where he's never going back to 45, right? Like, this isn't a Connor situation. This is a, I can do both of these because I'm a smallish guy. Um, so I'm going to say yes to Volkanovski, no to Islam Makashev. Yeah, so just for the intern, I'm saying yes to Volkanovski for all the reasons you felt as well. He's only going to defend maybe one time. I hate when they do this because it really messes up two divisions, having a champ move up. For Islam, I'm saying yes because I don't think anyone beats him in the top five, and that's a loaded division, but that's how dominant he is. And I certainly don't think Volkanovski's beating him just based on the size. I think Islam's going to body him up. That'll be fun to break down when we get there. Uh, let's finish off the women. Uh, Zhang Weili, 115-pound champion, dominant. Amanda Lemos is out there as a potential title challenger. Will Zhang be the champion come the end of the year? Yeah, this is one of the easier ones for me. The 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 person who I feel like is her kryptonite is Rose Namajunas. And she just put in such a dud of her performance against Carla Esparza. I, I don't think she gets a title shot anytime soon. And then in addition to that, like... You know, he, she, even if she doesn't get a title shot anytime soon, she also fights so sparingly. I don't think Carla beats her in a rematch. I don't think Lemos beats her. I don't think if Marina Rodriguez gets in there, she beats her. I don't think Mackenzie Dern even comes close to beating her. Like, right now, I, I think she's the best fighter in the world not named Rose Namajunas in that division. And I think Rose is, is kind of put herself in a position where she might not get a title shot this year. I agree completely. Uh, so I'm also saying yes, and that's one of the ones I'm way over the moon confident on. All right. Uh, here's another one that's interesting, only from the standpoint of really, I guess, his contract status. Naganu is a dominant heavyweight champion at 265. They're still working on a contract with him. It's been contentious. Rumors of like a John Jones coming back to fight at heavyweight. Um, you have... Uh, I'll actually just read off at the top five, Cyril Gain, who he's already beat, Stipe, who he's already beat, a surging Sergi Pavlovich, I think would be a very interesting matchup. Curtis Blades we love, but Naganu's already beat him. And Taitu Ivasa, who I don't think stands a chance against Naganu. What's your answer on Naganu? Cha- uh, champion end of the year, yes or no? I'm going to say yes, as long as the contract stuff works out. I'm going to say if it doesn't work out, uh, you know, I really think that that Curtis Blades is in a really great position. 
Uh, because I, I think a lot of those guys at the top of that division are big punchers and not a lot of people ready for the takedown action that he's got. And he's adding boxing to his game. I think Curtis Blades might be a sleeper for champion at the end of 2023. But that being said, you know, like at, at the end of the day, I think Francis is the best in the world. I think if they get the contract done, which it, it, I've heard rumors that the negotiations are going better than they had before. Um, it, it sounded like they were really bad straight out the gate and it seems like they've gotten better now. Um, so like, I, I think that that's good, but, um, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to stick with Ninganu and say, just like, if he fights, he, we're good. All right. Same here. It's, it's Ninganu as long as he's still in the UFC. Um, although I do, Pavlovich is, is the matchup that interests me the most. And I, you know, I, gosh, I'm a huge Curtis Blades guy. I do think maybe one day Curtis Blades could write the ship and beat him, but history tells us differently. But I'm still picking Nagano to be the champion come the end of the year. All right, best for last. The light heavyweight title has been a hot potato. Uh, Jan Blankovic, ever since Jones retired, you know, Jan had it, Glover beat him, then Yuri beat Glover in maybe one of the greatest top five fights of all time. They're supposed to rematch. Yuri gets injured. And now, somewhat seemingly out of nowhere, we have uh, Jamal Hill going to fight Glover Teixeira for the vacant title. I don't even know what to say. Uh, if <laughs> Glover wins, I mean, he has, at best, 1.5 fights left in him. I know he wants to fight Yuri again. Yuri's out for a very long time. Maybe, at best, Glover wins in January and then defends against Yuri Come December 31st, we don't even have a champion right now. It's vacant. So we're really <laughs> going to have to go out on a limb here, Gumby. You have to make a prediction. Who is the champion on December 31st, 2023? I'm going to say Glover. Um, but but here's with a caveat. I'm going to say Glover, and he's about to vacate it at the end of 2023. <laughs> right. um, and, and I know that this sounds like a, a wild prediction, being that we just went through, like, three straight vacant title fights or about to go through two or three straight vacant title fights. But here's why I think it's going to be vacant at the end of the year is Glover is, I think going to beat Jamal Hill. Um, and I know Jamal Hill's a favorite in that fight, but we just have seen Jamal Hill struggle with grappling, uh, particularly with Paul Craig. I don't know that he's ready for Glover to share to be on top of him. Few people usually are. I think Glover after that is going to wait for Yuri because as you pointed out, I think he has 1.5 fights left. I think we hit the over if he wins. I think we hit the under if he loses this fight. So if he went, if he wins this fight, all he wants back is that Yuri fight. He wants nothing else. He doesn't want to defend against whatever fun challenger is next or, you know, Magomed Ankalaev ain't sneaking in the door in front of Yuri. Yuri will be back sometime in the late fall, early winter of 2023. Glover is going to wait for that fight. If they want to give an interim title fight in the meantime, by all means, but Glover is going to wait to defend against Yuri Prohoshka as his last fight ever. Much like I said with Izzy, much like I said with Usman, Glover was up three rounds to one going into the fourth and all he had to do was survive. I think in the rematch, he survives, wins the fight, writes the ship here. And then I don't think he needs another fight. Um, you know, like maybe he goes trilogy with Yuri, but if he's won the last one and he's just ready to drop the title and, you know, ride off into the sunset cause he's a million years old, 
Like, I, I actually think that that's how 2023 ends. It, it ends with Glover Teixeira defending his belt for the first time successfully and then just laying it down. Yeah. So, I agree completely. I mean, I have to – we're playing a game here, and I have to play the odds. All we know is that Glover is fighting Hill for the title in 2023. It's the only thing we know. I think Glover wins that fight. I don't think he has many fights left in him. I think he would have, I would hope at least, some leverage in the UFC in their booking where he says, I'm waiting for Yuri. That's my last fight. That's the fight everyone wants to see. Now, of course, that holds up the division for a full year. Maybe the UFC doesn't like that. They'll run an interim. They'll just run an interim. That's what they do. I was going to say, which (laughs) muddies the waters even worse. But, yeah, I I can only go on the information I have right now. Glover's going to be the champ come the end of January 2023. So I'll play the odds because I know that Yuri is out for at least a year. At best, he maybe fights Yuri in December. You know, Yuri might win that. I, I guess another good guess could say Yuri will be champion come December 2023. But who knows? Because this injury sounds like it was horrific. I do want to bring up one thing as we wrap this up. And it's something we could talk about maybe during Glover's last fight. But I was thinking about this. Is Glover the best representation of jiu-jitsu in UFC history? I'm not taking Hoist Gracie into account because it was just too early. No one knew what the fuck was happening. But in like the Dana White, Zufa, Fertitta era, when you think about, now he tapped to Yuri, and that sucks. But that was after a five-round war, and I think we all understand what happened there. But I think about guys like Crone Gracie, Ryan Hall, having trouble getting people down looking silly, trying to pull guard or, you know, play single leg X off their back and then getting hit in the face for it. Uh, Ditto Damian Maya trying to wrestle uh, Tyron Woodley, having no success. Now, Maya never got submitted in the UFC. Glover has, so that might be the knock. But then you look at, like, Adolfo Vieira, who got submitted. Uh, Jacare, who got his arm broken. Uh, Minotauro, who got tapped by Frank Mir. So Mir might be someone that you have to put into account there too, but in my opinion, Glover might be the best representation of jiu-jitsu in the UFC history. You you actually just stole my answer from me. I was going to say his main competitor is Frank Mir. Um because you're right, like if you want to if you want to look at like BJJ guys who couldn't take people down and like kind of DQ them because like whether or not people realize it, jujitsu also involves a lot of takedowns. Um, you know, like we typically think of jujitsu butt scooters and guys throwing up submissions off their back and doing what Hoist Gracie did. But like jujitsu also involves a lot of top game. And I, I think when you look at what Frank Mir has in terms of submissions in the time that he had them, dude, like it's crazy. Like, Toehold over Tank Abbott, technical submission over Tim Sylvia with that arm, that mean ass armbar. He knee barred Brock Lesnar. He broke Big Nog's arm. He guillotined Shek Congo. Dude, like in his day, nobody was submitting high level dudes like he was, right? Like, and you know, Glover still has, like you said, Glover still has a ton of submissions on his record, and like you can't take anything away from him. He's one of the best in the world at jujitsu he's one of the best of all time at jujitsu but when you look resume wise at like okay well who has who 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 has glover submitted and you're like well i did sub jan blankovic 
or Ian Kudalaba or Carl Roberson or Ovin St. Preux, um, Kyle Kingsbury, uh, and, and like, that's it. You know, like he, a lot of his wins, you know, he used good jujitsu to beat Rampage. Uh, he used good jujitsu to beat Ryan Bader, uh, but not, he didn't sub any of those guys. Um, you know, he, he used good top games. So I would say the difference maker for me and why I would probably go Frank Mir at the end of the day, I, I think the submissions over high level opponents just like leans it ever so slightly in his favor. It's a really good debate and one might need to take Twitter or just have like a, a bigger episode on. Cause you're right. Uh, Mir. Yeah. I mean, Mir had, it looks like eight submissions in the UFC and Glover had seven. Mir had, like you said, um, a little more variety, uh, leg locks, Kamara, armbar, guillotine. But, uh, you know, again, they're both, tremendous representations of jujitsu and i just love in you know when i was thinking about it as glover's career winds down that when he got on top it was game over and he never looked like a flailing turtle on his back like some jujitsu people have and you know and that that's kind of what separates them all right well gumby this was fun the intern took down all the notes so we'll see at the end of the year who was right who was wrong and we'll revisit it uh, and this train's still moving. We got more things to do on this show. What should we do next? Well, speaking of high-level jiu-jitsu guys, we are going to end today's show by talking to Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt Orlando Prince, who is fighting on Cage Warriors 148. We're going to talk to him about that fight and how he came to become a jiu-jitsu specialist in the Netherlands, which is seemingly unheard of. But before we get to that interview with Prince, we are going to quickly tell you that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Orlando Prince. All right, and joining me today is Orlando Prince, who fights Samuel Bark at Cage Warriors 148. That fight is on New Year's Eve. So, Orlando, I got to start by asking, you're a fighter from the Netherlands. Was it Boss Rutten, Alistair mm-hmm. Overeem, Sammy Schilt, or Stefan Struve that sort of brought you to MMA? Um, actually, none of those, to be honest. To be honest, I was really intrigued by uh, Minotaur Noguera when I first got into uh, MMA and I didn't hear about like the Dutch fighters fighting MMA until later. That's really interesting. So you were really into Minotaur Norguera. Were you a big pride guy back in the day? Yeah. So, um, I was a big kickboxing fan back in the day. Um, I was in K1, I was into K1 and all that kind of stuff. And, um, at one point I saw like a show, like, uh, where Krokop was fighting MMA as well. I was like, he had shoes on. I was like, this is weird. He's going to the floor. He has small gloves. I'm like, what is this? You know, like, and I start looking into it and I saw a UFC event where Nogara was fighting in and I saw like the, in- the intro, like him like choking people out using like all kinds of submissions. I was like, this is awesome. Uh, this is what I want to learn. And I got into MMA. So out of curiosity, then, you know, you said you liked kickboxing in the, back, in the past. 
were you a kickboxer first? Did you train in kickboxing before you got into jiu-jitsu? Because I know you're a jiu-jitsu black mm -hmm. belt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually big into kickboxing. Um, I started with kickboxing. I started fighting in kickboxing as well. And um, um, from there, I transitioned to MMA, actually. So I was a kickboxer and a striker first before I became a jiu-jitsu black belt. Well, that, that's really an interesting background because from what I've seen from all of your fights, you know, you're deadly on the ground. You're, you're so good when it comes to the submission game. Did you take to the submission game better than the kickboxing? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, like it just felt really natural, you know, like, um, and it felt like I can explain this, like, um, in kickboxing, you know, like in some aspects, it's like a little bit of instinct and a little bit of athleticism that plays a big factor. And in jiu-jitsu, it's like purely technique, you know, like if you're really technical and you just follow all of the steps, like you're going to get the results, you know, like, and uh, I've, I gravitated towards that and I really like liked it. And before I knew when I started with jiu-jitsu, I was like, like really deep into jiu-jitsu, like competing a lot in jiu-jitsu. And, and I kind of like strayed away from the MMA path from there. Interesting. And, and now you said that the part of jujitsu that really stuck with you was, you know, like the cerebral aspect of it. The fact that if you just follow the path and you do the things that you're supposed to do, you get the results. Have you always kind of been that kind of learner and, and that kind of uh, person when it comes to, you know, the style that you like to learn? Yeah. You know, like um, I was like a more of a visual learner in the beginning, to be honest. But then I try to like like make that transition for myself, you know, like when I started like getting a little bit of hiccups, you know, like in my training and like in my results to become more of a, like um, a theoretical learner, you know, like learning the steps, you know, like not just being based off instinct, not just being based off athleticism, you know, like, and really try to like dive into like the concepts of what, what's working and why is it working, you know, like, and that, was just really interesting to me, you know, like that kind of aspect. And I never learned that in, in kickboxing or any other sports that I learned. I never learned the concepts of why am I doing this? Um, why am I doing this opposed to like doing it in another way? You know, nobody could never, could ever explain that to me, you know, like, and in jujitsu, I got like, uh, I got that for the first time and it was like, it was mind blowing to me, you know, like I was like, ah, oh, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing that. You know, like, and it just stuck with me, you know, like, I love it. I, I like that quite a bit. Now I'm curious, you said jujitsu sort of took you away from MMA for a while. It took you down a path where you were competing, you were doing lots of competitions. What drew you back to MMA after sort of going down that competition path? So um, I had like, I had, I had this long-term plan in my head. I wanted to become a blue belt and then go back to MMA. But then when I became a blue belt, I had great results. I was winning a lot of tournaments and all of international tournaments. And um, I was like, yeah, why should I go to back to MMA? You know, like I'm, I'm on road, like becoming like a European champion, a world champion, you know, like I've, I've got to stick with this a little bit while, a, a little bit longer. And then like, I'll see what happens, you know, maybe I'll go back into MMA later, you know, like I was always like keeping up with my striking a little bit and like some aspects of MMA and if I had like friends that were fighting MMA, I was like training with them, but like not taking it too seriously. And then in 2016 or 2015, I did like a tournament. I did like a, a um, uh, am amateur tournament, like a, a, a what's it, what's it called? Uh, WMMAA 
It's like the world mixed martial arts for amateurs. And after that, I was planning to make my pro debut, but then I got injured and was sidetracked for two years. And then when I came back, I had to like relearn everything, you know, like and got get back into it. That makes sense. Now, you, you mentioned all of these interesting learning styles and this interesting path that sort of led you back to MMA. I know you also coach. You, you know, you're a guy who coaches as well as fighting. Mm-hmm. How has that sort of helped you through that kind of journey, through, you know, guiding younger talent through the same kind of questions? Well, it's actually, like, um, pretty useful. Like, it helped me become more technical myself because um, sometimes you do things without, like, without realizing what the nuances are, you know. Like, for example, you do, like, you don't think about, like, how you walk, you know, for example. Like, you just walk, you know, like, it's natural, but when you have to learn somebody how to walk, like, okay, step by step, you know, like you go through all the, the motions, you know, like, and now, like, you start to learn, like, more of the details yourself. And so you become more technical that way. And it was also, like, there's no MMA in the city where I come from or, like, hardly any M- MMA scene, you know, like, like there are a handful of guys that, that, that were training, but, like, with really mixed results, you know, like losing or having losing records, you know, like it was like not really a scene. So I really wanted to start that up also for my own benefit, you know, like so I could train and have training partners, but also like to create something over here, you know, like to create something that doesn't exist over here. So um, it's been a really rewarding journey so far. That that seems very noble. Now, I wanted to ask about this fight too, because you're fighting a guy in Samuel Bark who's, who's got quite a bit more at least MMA experience or pro MMA experience than you. And from what I've seen from him, he's a guy who likes to lean mm-hmm. on his striking a little bit more than he does his grappling. He's a guy who likes to throw his hands. What did you think about him as an opponent when they, you know, they came to you and said, would you fight Samuel Bart? Actually, I asked for him. I was asking for him uh, before um, or after my last fight got canceled. They were asking me, like, oh, okay, who who would I like to fight? And I gave them a, a list of possible opponents. You know, like, I gave them a list of 10 opponents, and, and initially I wouldn't, I couldn't get any of them. You know, like, everybody, like, turned me down. Like, initially he turned me down as well, or at least they said he turned me down. Like, it was like, he's only going to fight up. He only wants to fight for a title. And I was like, all right, all well, makes sense, you know, like, he has like more wins on his record than me, you know, so like I can't blame him for that. And I got another fight and then the fight, that fight fell through like two days after I signed a contract. And then they got me another fight uh, against a guy from England. And that fight fell through. Like, I guess like when did the fight get, um, I think like last Friday I heard about that, you know, like, and I actually heard through Instagram that I had this fight. You know, like I got tagged in like a um, um, a post from Front Front Kick Online that I was fighting Samuel Bark. I was like, what? <laughs> like I was super surprised, but like happily surprised. That that's a really interesting way to find out that you you have a fight. Was, was there a reason why you you wanted Samuel Bark? Why he was originally yeah. on your list? Uh, well, first of all, he has a good record. You know, like uh, he uh, he has like um. He has some momentum with him, and I think by fighting him and beating him in, like, impressive fashion, I can insert myself back into, like, like the title picture because I had a kind of a rough start. You know, like, I got my first fight, 
um, within two weeks notice, you know, I wasn't training MMA. Like at that point I was like, um, preparing for ADCC trials in Europe and out of nowhere, like when I was at the trials, I heard about like my debut fight in cage wars. I was like, fuck, I can't like postpone this, you know, like I need to take this fight, you know, because I was, I was waiting to fight for like a little bit over a year actually. So I had to take that fight. You know, I didn't want to like lose the risk of like, like, like not getting signed by cage wars and then like not fighting, you know? So I took the fight in hindsight, probably wasn't a good choice. So I needed to get, I need to get like a win back and a big win, you know, like, and I think Samuel Bark is going to be a huge win for me. And by putting on a impressive performance against him, that will definitely put some eyes on me. And I think they, uh, they will uh, probably consider me for uh, fighting for the vacant title next because I think it's going to be vacant now. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm curious because you, you've mentioned it being really difficult to get fights for you, being that, you know, previously you were 3-0, and mm -hmm. but you have these really high credentials. You know, you have a kickboxing background. You have a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Has it been like that the whole time that it's just like almost impossible mm -hmm. to find people who want to fight you? Yeah, like since the start, like my first pro fight, I had like eight pullouts on the first fight. Uh, second pro fight, I had six pullouts and had like a last minute replacement, you know, like uh, the third fight, I was like actually fighting a weight class up because like I couldn't get any fights in featherweight. So I fought like this Russian monster, you know, like also with 60 or 70 kickboxing uh, pro fights, you know, like, and I had to fight him, you know, like, and then afterwards I was signed by uh, this promotion called Aries in France. And they just like completely helped me hostage, you know, like they wouldn't let, get me any fights. And then like, um, I couldn't get out of the contract. So I was basically stuck. I signed there for five fights. And afterwards I found out <clears throat> that Cage Wars uh, was willing to sign me as well. But I couldn't get out of the contract with Aries. So it was a big hassle, you know, like, and then, like, when I got out of the contract with Aries, I got the opponent for Cage Wars. And then afterwards, I thought it was going to be smooth sailing. I was like, okay, I'm signed to Cage Wars now. Like, uh, guys must want to fight me now, you know, like, and then it was the same thing, you know, like, the matchmakers can't get any fights. So people kept pulling out, you know, like, last time the guy pulled out, like, three days before the fight or like actually like a, two days before the fight, you know, like the day before weigh-ins, you know, like it's just been a, a, a nightmare, you know, like so far. Well, we're glad you're finally getting to the cage on New Year's Eve and it's against a, a high level opponent, which is great that you're finally getting, you know, that guy who is that step up, who is that one with the big record. Now, I usually like to end these interviews mm -hmm. with a prediction. Tell me what it's going to look like when you step into the cage with Samuel Bark on New Year's Eve. Um, yeah, you'll see. <laughs> I can't give anything away, but like it will end with my hand being raised. And uh, yeah, you'll see. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Orlando Prince who fights Samuel Bark at Cage Warriors 148. That fight is on New Year's Eve. Orlando, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Picket, Maroon Social, and MyBookie. Make sure to use promo code TOPTURTLE to get a nice little bonus on MyBookie. And remember that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at TopTurtleMMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Data Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.